Well, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes or even Dr. Watson to notice the change in color. Is that a fair statement? And so we are begun with Advent, which is a lovely season where we prepare for the coming of Christ. And in many ways, he has different approaches to us through time. He comes to us in history and in mystery and in majesty. He comes to us in his, that first Christmas. He comes to us in our own lives by grace throughout every day of our lives in ways mystical and so often unglimpsed. And then he comes in majesty at the end of time. In history, first of all, we prepare obviously in Advent to celebrate Christmas. There's a great truth that if you're a teacher, it's important never to give an answer before you first raise the question. There are many people who have been given answers to all the questions they have, but don't know it, and have their questions with blinking question marks still. And they've been told the answer, but they don't know it, because people didn't tell me, well, this attaches to that part of you that has this question, did you get that? Please attach it there, and we'll solve that, and then the blinking light can go off. Cardinal Newman, John Henry Newman, the famous convert, the fellow who uh, renewed and revised and uh, the English church, the Anglican church in 1833 with the Oxford movement, such that a church down the street from me in Philadelphia had its interior altered by that across the ocean. Then in 1845, he and Oxford Don and the Oxford Anglican chaplains of the university, having done research in, uh, in the fathers, to prove the Anglican Church the Via Media between the breakdown lanes of Catholicism and Protestantism found that actually after several thwacks to the head that the church was right and his life was filled with things like that so that his life is instructed to us in the case of many puzzles we have and so there's a two-sided biography of Newman there and it's tightly written because he had so much in his life but the reason it's there is that there are probably several questions you don't know you have or you've been puzzled by and you don't know that he figured out the answer just as many of our family and friends and thinkers and experts are further down the road. We can take advantage of their answers once we realize how our questions interact and fit tongue and groove with those. And so in Advent, we pause. We pause to sense our need for a savior. We think, for instance, Isaiah right here, Isaiah the great prophet, and his mention of our need for an end to war. With hell ra raining from the sky in Ukraine, with surgeons doing operations without electricity or sufficient light, with people without water or electric or to be able to move up and down, get food to people in the tops of build high buildings, however are they to live? Why ever is there an extension of a great mobilized war? However, of all the times in life we need that marvelous quote from Isaiah on the statue in front of the United Nations in New York to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into hooks used for pruning in our gardens, in our woods. We never needed a savior more. And so Advent gives us a chance to sense that and become aware of that and then to rejoice for a savior when we're granted one at Christmas. So Christ comes in history. He also comes in majesty. Our gospel awakens us, startles us with uh, its immediacy. Two people are there, one is taken, one is left. 
two men, two women are elsewhere, one's taken, one's left. They both, to the eyes of just our pure optics, they looked identical. But inside, different things were going on. We are asked by the Lord with great immediacy today to pray for the coming of the kingdom, to be aware of the second coming of Christ, to bring everything to completion. Some of us can just be avoiding all that, not thinking of it, not collaborating with it. And others are immediately uh, taken up with uh, and seized with the building of the body of Christ. You are by your very presence here today to hear God's word, here in the scriptures, God's work in history, Christ's very words, and then receiving the sacred Eucharist, buoyed by the sacrament, being turned from glory into glory, and then meeting each other after mass and building the very body of Christ, bringing those things which are unfinished into being finished, taking the already, not yet, and making it the already in time eventually for the coming, for the coming of the kingdom. In Matthew 25, further on in this gospel, which we begin this year, year A, there's that scene in Matthew 25 where just like the two people, one taken, one left, you have two groups of people who are separated. One set are going for air conditioning, the other set are going for hotter weather. And the angels have gathered them. And they're both puzzled, both. And one set says, well, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or give you that or visit you in prison? Whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And the other says, Lord, when do we ever refuse you water or food? They're just puzzled. And he says, well, the poor, when you avoided them, you avoided me. And leaves them to their own self-designated fate. I have a friend who used to be editor for Science Magazine. Science Magazine is not a decidedly Christian magazine. Don't deal with topics like this at all. Very odd to bring it up in a homily. Except for this, when he was up there, he was mentioning, we got talking about the state of the nation and people not being able to make ends meet. And he was saying how the disparities are greater than ever before. And science, science has been doing articles on how crazy it is. Whether because of, I mean, you tell me the reason, you figure it out, sense it. But the fact is, people who are working hard are not being paid for the work they're doing. And people who aren't working much harder are getting far, far more in a great disparity. So the people have trouble making ends meet. When I was a little kid in grammar school, not that long ago, the nuns would, not that funny, the nuns, the nuns would tell us there are certain sins that cry to heaven for judgment, just as we see in this gospel today, judgment. And the sins, the first, the one they would always mention was depriving a laborer of his or her wages. Depriving a laborer of his or her wages, and about that to be unconcerned seems incredible and then to call ourselves Christians or pro-life, the people not have a living wage. It's a complete contradiction in terms, obviously, we could think of nine other things to get to 10, to get 10. But we don't have time for that right now. And then Christ comes in mystery. That's to say he comes in this very moment. He comes in this very moment. His grace is with us to be accepted. Sometimes we're not even aware it's there. Much as the people befuddled, when they pass by the poor or they help the poor not realizing in them they saw Christ, so in our own lives, we're often not seized with how close the Lord has come. There's history, there's Christ coming in majesty in the middle, his coming in mystery in our lives right now. And so in the middle window, to take it as an example, St. Augustine. The middle window, St. Augustine, the greatest experiencer of all time. He tried all kinds of things. He looked out on the Christian faith. 
But then he had a great surprise. Even to the extent listening to St. Ambrose, he kept putting off his he kept putting off his conversion. In a while I'll be converted, but not yet. It was going to be his time, not God's. He had other fun things to do. And then in a garden in Milan, in late August of 386, a walled garden, so he couldn't see what was going on around if he heard someone shouting. He began to break down because he realized how empty his life was. And then, so he went to another part of the garden so his friend Lepius wouldn't see him crying. He went off to be by himself. And he heard someone shouting, Tole Lege, Tole Lege on the other wall. Had no idea why that was going on. But he thought, now, uh, for Yaley's in the audience, I'll explain that means take up and read, take up and read. Even if I kid about Yaley's, they still won the Harvard game. They still won the Yale game. So don't feel too sympathetic. But he heard that shout, take up and read. And there on the ground was a book of Paul's epistles he had left there. And he picked it up and he found the very phrases we read in our second reading, Romans 13. He found those very reasons, those very verses, and all those doubts fell from his mind and heart and soul. And so he entered upon instruction and in April of 387 was baptized by our second window, St. Ambrose in Milan Cathedral. And so he was taught that immediacy with which the gospel speaks and which Paul in Romans, the 13th chapter of his letter speaks. You know the time, it is the hour now for you to awake from sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced, the day is at hand. Let us then throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves properly as in the day, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in promiscuity and lust, nor rivalry and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. He who had tried everything, Augustine, he who had gone all ways, came at last to him who said, I am the way. And that will be the path of each of us as well this Advent. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.